0: Welcome to McClatchy's Beyond the Bubble podcast on this pre-Nevada Thursday here in the nation's capital where we have so much to discuss. Coming up, we're going to break down the absolutely chaotic ninth Democratic presidential debate, which of course happened last night. I'm still trying to recover from what I saw, but I need to get over it quickly because we also need to discuss Saturday's important first in the West caucuses. Join us every week as we take you inside the race for the White House in a way only McClatchy's 30 newsrooms can by talking about how the election is playing out on the ground in the states that will matter. I'm Alex Rorty, a national political correspondent for McClatchy, and today I am joined by Emily Caday, McClatchy's political correspondent and, of course, the author of a must-read newsletter summing up daily all things 2020. Emily, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And we are also happy to have back on the show David Cadney's national political correspondent for McClatchy, who told me to keep betting it all on red this past weekend in Vegas. And Dave, I got to say, I think you owe me some money. Oh, well, <laughs> I should have been there. I was
2: a lucky charm. I there.
0: <laughs> OK, let's uh, dive right into it because we have a lot to analyze. Last night's Democratic debate was unlike anything we've seen from this presidential primary. At least it was noisy, personal. One candidate said she was accused of being dumb at one point. And I want to start with the man who appeared to take the worst of the beating, Michael Bloomberg. Because, wow, did a guy who spent hundreds of millions of dollars on this race watch it all go up in smoke in one night? Emily, of all the many attacks <laughs> against Michael Bloomberg, what do you think resonated the most with Democratic voters?
1: I mean, it's hard to pick just one moment. It is hard to pick just one. <laughs> I like really put you on the spot there. I think it remains to be seen how Democrats... You know, react to everything that went on last night. But from my perspective, I thought the the attack that was most effective was the one that, that Elizabeth Warren sort of repeatedly leveled in different ways. And that was we can't afford to nominate someone to beat Trump who is like Trump. Mm -hmm. And essentially making the connection between Bloomberg and Trump, whether it was on the non-disclosure agreements and his, you know, past sexist comments about women, whether it was on sort of his sense of entitlement around wealth or his history of allegedly racist policies that he since apologized for. I think kind of going at him on that electability question Uh was really important because that's basically the premise of his entire campaign is that he can beat Trump And I wonder how much people sort of absorbed that message and how much that actually damages him. Because if that goes away, then there's not a huge argument for his candidacy.
0: (laughs) It's not like, oh, I share your values as a former Republican. Yeah. uh, Yeah.
1: You know, billionaire who can't you know, do his taxes on TurboTax because it's just too complicated. You know, even that response, I <laughs> He had an extended thought,
0: riff about that, didn't Yeah, there, you and
1: know. it just, it really resonated. It sounded very similar to some of the things that Trump has said about his taxes. Well, it takes a long time. It's complicated. It can't, you know, there were some echoes of Trump in some of his responses that I think might give Democrats some pause.
0: You know, there was a lot of talk about non-disclosure agreements from uh, some of his former employees at, at Bloomberg and why, why he endorsed George W. Bush in 2004. But Dave, I mean, what was your assessment just particularly of his performance. Because this is a guy who has not debated in many years. Of course, he hadn't been a participant in any of the previous Democratic debates. Did he seem like a guy who just
2: wasn't ready for the moment? Yeah, he was flat-footed, stone-faced, and completely unprepared for the barrage of attacks. You sound Um, like Elizabeth Warren right now, (laughs) critiquing him. I mean, he knew this was coming. This was all a drumbeat for the last at least week and a half of oppo coming out daily i mean videos of him from ten years ago five years ago maybe even just a year ago all about his records and the bloomberg operation is pretty savvy and smart so i can't imagine they didn't sit him down and say look they're coming after you so be ready you know i just think it's a lot different when you're on the stage and he was Frankly, standing just a few feet away from Elizabeth Warren. Maybe he didn't know the appropriate way to turn or respond, but at least for the first hour, it seemed like he didn't even want to mount a very strong defense. Now, the second hour, he warmed up a little. He went at it with Bernie. He mixed it up a little bit more. He started raising his hand. But man, that first hour, it almost like he didn't feel like he had to. And maybe that's a little smugness and arrogance of a billionaire. But he didn't have good answers. And to, to your question, to Emily, about the, the thing that resonated most, I mean, f- for me, for the theatrical part, it was that first Warren soundbite where it was obviously pre-canned. I mean, the horse-faced lesbian right thing right. you know is, is going to reverberate i think just even just casual ob- observers of politics will be like wow what what is she talking about uh quoting you know quoting what bloomberg has allegedly said in the past about women that for theatrics i think is what will resonate but i actually think substantively warren pressing bloomberg on releasing women from their non-disclosure agreements he didn't have a good explanation he said Oh well it was just maybe because they were upset with a few jokes and she pressed him how many how many and is it and is there going to be a drip 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 if you're the nominee during the general election about more stories about how you treated women he did not have a good defense on that it's stunning to me how many people he's paying to advise him <laughs> you know the Consider- salaries they're making that they couldn't come up with a quippy you know smart believable response to that question that I feel like they would have been malpractice if they didn't see that coming. Well,
0: you know, there are two things that stand out to me. One, I, I feel like we say this a lot when we talk about debates, they are not easy to to, to oh. perform in. I mean, I, something like even Barack Obama's performance in the 2012 debate, his first debate against Mitt Romney, where he infamously bombed. Uh, against the then GOP nominee, in part because Romney had just spent a year debating all of his Republican rivals and Obama hadn't debated in four years. And lo and behold, it's really hard to debate. And so he's at a disadvantage. So you can hire the best debate coaches that money can buy. And actually, I'm pretty sure he did. Um, And and it still wouldn't necessarily mean a lot. The other thing with with Bloomberg, and it puts him in a tough situation, is the guy is just going to have a long paper trail. I mean, if you're going to run a company like Bloomberg, If you're going to be the New York City mayor for 12 years, there are going to be a lot of things that people can pick apart.
2: But there's almost, to me, I mean, there's, there's a substantive argument that you need to be able to make. And you're right. It is very tough to retain all that information and then be able to spew it out in, what do they have, a minute and 15 seconds to respond? It's very, very hard. But look. You know, these people have chosen to run for president, so the bar should be very high. I also think just watching Bloomberg of the split screens, he was smug last night. There was a demeanor to him that was like, look, I don't have to respond to all this. You guys are coming after me because now I'm one of the front runners or, or soon to be front runners, and I'm not going to engage this. There was a look to him that didn't have a sense of urgency, whereas everybody else on that stage, I'd say from Biden to Warren, to Klobuchar, to even Buttigieg, who isn't, you know, I wouldn't say like the most animating figure, there was a sense of urgency. Like, mm-hmm. this is the last stand. Like, we mm-hmm. may be out of this race in yes. two weeks. We've got to put it all on the line. And Bloomberg, the new guy, is like, eh, eh <laughs> There's almost like a take really. it or leave it attitude for Democratic voters. Like, <laughs> yeah. hey, you know who I am. Yes, yeah, too bad. If you like it, if you, if you like it, sure. vote for me. if not, move on. <laughs> not
0: exactly a very spirited defense of his, yeah. of his own record. Emily, you know, this is a guy who, like, of course, as many listeners know, is running w- w- one of the least traditional, maybe the least traditional campaign we've ever seen. He is skipping the first four states. He is spending uh, whatever it's up to now, $400 million. And he has seen some uptick in the polls, right? Yeah. And he is up to um, in the mid-teens in some national polls. If you look at some individual polling of the southern states, he's almost the front runner in some of those. He was in a poll in Virginia. I think he was tied with Biden and Bernie, top the polls there in that Super Tuesday state. I know it's difficult to make predictions, but how how badly could this hurt him? Or is there a thought that, you know what, it's nothing that another $100 million won't solve?
1: I think this is a new phase for Bloomberg because he has, in a lot of these states, like the southern states you mentioned, he's essentially had the electorate to himself this whole time because, because of his choice to skip Iowa and New Hampshire and Nevada and South Carolina, where the other candidates have to focus their time and attention and money because they simply don't have the resources he has to be everywhere all at once. So he's basically had a free kind of hand in a lot of these places. That's going to end soon. It sort of ended last night to be honest and as other candidates turn to these Super Tuesday states, other states in March, I think it will be harder for Bloomberg to just rely on all of his advertising to carry him forward. He also has huge organizations in a lot of those states that the other campaigns don't, But. I don't know. I I think that the debate exposed a lot of weaknesses for him that he didn't really have a lot of good responses to and and confirmed some of the things about his reputation that people have said, like the fact that he doesn't like to be questioned or challenged, that he is sort Mm -hmm. of aloof and arrogant. Trump like. Trump-like, a little ways, bit less charismatic. Ways, right. he's, not a, he's not a really charismatic a campaigner. to Right, exactly. And that's something you see even when he's giving speeches and doing campaign events. His retail politics, is uh, that's not his strength. So I think this is a new phase for Bloomberg, and, and the next few weeks are going to be a big test for, for his campaign. Yeah,
0: it's a real argument, paid media versus earned media. We're going to see yeah. which wins out over the, the next couple of weeks. Okay, so we all agree it was a tough night for Mayor Bloomberg, but let's not lose focus of what matters the most in this race right now. Now, can anyone stop Bernie Sanders? If you were tracking the national polls this week, you saw the Democratic Socialist support start to climb from the mid-20s into the 30s, at least according to a survey from The Washington Post and ABC News. His hold on Nevada, meanwhile, only seemed to strengthen. Okay, so Dave, did you see anything last night, uh, apart from all the Bloomberg madness piling on, anything last night that could slow down Bernie? Have you seen anything lately to suggest he is anything but a suddenly imposing front runner on this race?
2: No, I did not see a concerted attempt to try to take him out as the front runner. You know, he had to explain the health care plan again, Medicare for All, which every debate we go through this, and Bernie's gonna say the same thing, Medicare for All. He had to explain health records, which he is refusing to release more of, and he had to talk about a little bit, he was on defensive about his supporters who go over the line on social media, Uh, you know are very rabid and threaten people that aren't in the bernie camp but overall to me you like this is the this is one of the last chances you're going to have to really really cut this guy's momentum there's another debate next week of course before south carolina but there is nobody that made the concerted repeated case about nominating a democratic socialist what that will mean for the general election there were glancing comments about it, but I think in a debate, what we've learned is you got to repeat it over and over. You've got to tie policy into it. You've got to return to it. You can't just take one hack at it, because especially last night in a food fight where they're all throwing stuff, it's going to be hard to break through. And we all knew mm-hmm. the story coming out would be about Bloomberg. So to really make Bernie a target, you were almost going to have to work harder. And I was on a call with Biden-Aids before the debate and they had previewed what they wanted to do it was basically a 50 50 shot they really wanted to make a case against bloomberg which was made partly by biden mostly by warren but they also wanted to make a case against bernie on three issues gun control immigration which i don't think biden got to overall and and medicare for all it just didn't seem like they got the result they wanted as far as that concerted effort and we also should point out that Nevadans have been voting (laughs) Right, <laughs> More than uh, 70,000 of them. Already right. mm-hmm. before that debate, mm-hmm. uh, there had been thousands that had voted. So there's a lot of votes that are banked that, that this debate won't be impacted by. But, you know, your broad question, like, no, no one took Bernie out, and that's going to become a more urgent task in the next week. You almost saw Joe Biden in real time realize he had not
0: done enough to attack Bernie Sanders over the night or make an argument against him. Because in his closing remarks, yeah. he criticized Bernie Sanders, which you almost never see. Right. Um, in, in, it was in like, a, get this debate. in
2: before the time <laughs> runs out. <laughs>
0: right. It's like he's cramming it in at the, the last moment. And you, you saw, I thought, Pete Buttigieg, or at least earlier on in the night, try to make an argument against Bernie Sanders. I think you yeah. even saw Bernie Sanders get a little angry yeah. at Pete Buttigieg, talking about his online supporters, talking about... You know, trying to represent the working class and who really represented the average person in this yeah, country, and 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 you saw some of it. But what I think has been almost emblematic of this entire campaign, the Buttigieg criticisms of Sanders soon seemed to be overtaken by the fight he had with Amy Klobuchar. You know, and Amy Klobuchar is the one who's saying, "I think Pete Buttigieg is accusing me of being dumb." You know, and and so many words, Emily. That seems like the the whole issue is that. These candidates who it seemingly need to align together to stop Bernie Sanders are instead constantly attacking one another.
1: Yeah, it does seem like a missed opportunity. As much as everyone was fixated on Bloomberg, he's not the one at this point who has any delegates. And right. Right. Sanders has not only come close to finishing first in Iowa and then he won the most delegates in New Hampshire, but he's poised to do the same in in Nevada. and And we'll see how things go. He's, he's looking strong in South Carolina, and of course is. We've noted in the past he's one of the few who really has real legitimate ground operations in the Super Tuesday states that aren't just kind of a thrown together at the last minute type of operation. Bloomberg's an easy foil, and in some ways it makes sense that Elizabeth Warren and even Buttigieg would want to use him to contrast their own positions and their own campaign appeals. But Sanders is the one that needs to be stopped essentially mm-hmm. if any of these folks are going to win the nomination and. I do think there are some rising questions, maybe not just in the debate. Overall, I've seen more concern, more comments, more coverage about his supporters, questions about whether he bears some responsibility, both through his rhetoric and through the way he runs his campaign. I think that actually Bloomberg got a pretty good line in there about Sanders being a millionaire and owning three mm-hmm. homes. You know, I do think Bernie got put on his back heel a few times and seemed very defensive was my biggest takeaway. He, like Bloomberg, doesn't seem to really like to be questioned. And mm-hmm. his body language and his tone at certain points kind of played into the the criticism that Sanders has faced over the years, which that he's very defensive. He's very kind of like gruff and
0: curmudgeonly.
2: Yeah. And, curmudgeonly and some people love look, that, but yeah. a lot of
1: people don't like that at all. Like the, he's not a team player that people don't like him, as Hillary Clinton said. So it, it wasn't a great debate for Bernie, but I don't think that Given what the other candidates had to do to slow him down, it was enough to really change his overall trajectory.
0: And you did see a lot of stories recently questioning. The, the sort of online vitriol from some Bernie Sanders supporters. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a, a Democrat uh, reach out to me last night just wondering, why are the candidates so fixated on this? Because it's such an online phenomenon. It doesn't necessarily reach a lot of your average Democratic voters. They don't spend a lot of time online, They don't, sp- at least the way that, that we do. And there was some suggestion that that's not the way to criticize the guy. If you want to connect with voters, you start talking about how he has three homes and he's a democratic socialist. And, oh, by the way, isn't Trump going to mention this relentlessly in a general election?
2: That was, I mean, not to get too online, but it was the number one Twitter trend from the debate Hmm. was the Bloomberg hit on Bernie good data point yeah good I, data I mean point. but but I mean i that's online and we you know obviously all the caveats those aren't all the voters the online factions are very different than than people that are going to caucus Bloom, we should say Bloomberg also opened the debate saying he just didn't think Bernie Sanders could win right yeah. flat out but I mean this is there was so I mean even as you recall I mean you're right to point out when, when you were mentioning how Buttigieg got some hits on Bernie. I kind of almost forgot about that because mm-hmm. so much happened in this debate. And I remember you choked and said you needed to watch it again. <laughs> Did it you be. wanted to watch it again. Because <laughs> all the subplots, the klobuchar Judge thing was a huge back and forth. But then Warren, I mean, I would say never went after Bernie again. Like Elizabeth Warren has a plan for everything. She does not have a plan for Bernie Sanders. Maybe we'll find out in, in three days from now. She is like undercut Bloomberg, taking him out. But she still has Bernie in front of her, and like she hasn't really addressed that. There were so many interesting interactions, mano a mano face-offs in this debate. It'll be interesting to see what voters take out of it. And I think what voters will take out of it is they're coming after Bloomberg, but did they think like we did, that he wasn't ready, that he was unprepared? Or will they say, and remember, people have been penalized for attacks in Democratic debates so far. Julian Castro, Kamala Harris, I mean. Repeatedly, consistently like, penalized. They, they get, mm-hmm. People don't like it very negative. So I wonder if, if Democrats look at that and then there's some sympathy from Bloomberg, like, oh, the guy got beat up. I mean, come on, it was his first night out and they all piled on him. Like We look at it as like, wow, he he turned out a terrible performance. But I would just pause and see if he takes a polling hit. We'll know in a couple days if he drops in these Super Tuesday states, drops nationally. But I always am cautious because I have been through enough of these takeaways to know sometimes journalists overanalyze them or analyze them through a different lens than voters do. Yeah, I
0: I would say almost 100 percent of the time. Speaking speaking of someone who after the New Hampshire debate really made a forceful case, that I thought Joe Biden did well in that debate. And of course, Joe Biden slumped to a fifth place finish in, (laughs) in New Hampshire. And it was a huge blow to his campaign. I don't want to move on before we at least mention what I thought was the most memorable line of the night. It didn't have anything to do with Bernie or Bloomberg. It was Amy Klobuchar at one point after an extended back and forth with Pete Buttigieg, who, let's just say, she clearly does not think very highly of, or at least that is her body language and her actions would say as much. And she said, quote, I wish everyone was as perfect as you, Pete. (laughs) And I just, the delivery and the tone of that was really remarkable. And to Dave, your, your point earlier, you know, one of the reasons this debate was so Jarring that we've had this entire primary where no one's attacked anyone, and the people who have criticized their opponents have seemed to pay a huge penalty for it. It just like that got turned entirely on its head, and it was almost as if all this pent up anger and frustration that the candidates have not been able to express during the debates suddenly came, you know, flowing out like a freaking volcano last night. So. You know, look, we're putting this race in context. Bernie Sanders is a pretty clear frontrunner in Nevada after being in Las Vegas last weekend. I think that was very clear, um, the enthusiasm of his crowds, but also how much support he has from voters of color, particularly younger Latino voters in the state. Bernie Sanders is a strong frontrunner. Look, if he wins that state, that will be three states in a row, which he has received the most votes. And then we head to South Carolina, which famously almost semi-anointed Hillary Clinton and her 2016 race matchup with Bernie Sanders. I'm wondering, though, Emily, I mean, do we think that South Carolina, the dynamic has changed there a little bit? We have seen Joe Biden's support fall among African-Americans nationally. It Mm -hmm. follows that it would happen in South Carolina as well. We've seen some polling data to back that up, too. Do we think that South Carolina is suddenly in play for the campaigns? Do we think that Bernie Sanders maybe will try to make a, a real effort there?
1: I think it'd be smart if he did. It would sort of be a, a knockout blow in a lot of ways for his campaign even before Super Tuesday. Biden is really counting on that that race, but he has some competition. Tom Steyer has been spending a ton of money and time in South Carolina. And while he's not likely to, to win, he certainly could play a spoiler role, which I think would be more damaging for Biden than Bernie. I mean, Bernie's folks are pretty devoted to him. Biden supporters seem to be supporting him partly out of a sense of nostalgia, partly out of a sense of just familiarity. But if he continues to do poorly in these Nevada caucuses, as poorly as he has done in the previous two contests, I think that's going to be that much harder for him to perform well in South Carolina. So in some ways, Nevada is really pivotal for him going into South Carolina to just kind of regain a little bit of that, that sense of that one-time front-runner status he had.
0: I, I just don't know how you can finish you know, fourth fifth, and then anything below second place in Nevada, and think, oh, but it will be fine in South Carolina, I'll I'll ride into this. Emily, just real quick, how did you think Joe Biden did last night? You wrote about this. Do you think that there was any spark there that maybe he can pin some hopes on?
1: He seemed like a little bit more, I thought, focused, fiery, passionate. He didn't have as many moments, just because, as we said, there was so much going on, and there were so many kind of one-on-one tiffs between Warren and Bloomberg and Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg. And, and Biden wasn't as involved in some of that. He kind of tried to pipe up here and there in, in some of the criticisms of Bloomberg. But he he did have a few moments where I thought he kind of flashed some of that old Biden charm. He, you know, he had some good one-liners where he talked about healthcare and getting an actual healthcare deal done when everyone else was kind of bickering about their plans. And he was like, hey, guys, and just kind of stopped everyone with a smile. So I thought overall, it was a better performance for him. It, it's just it remains a question of how much he was able to stand out from kind of the overall hubbub or You know the the viral moments that certainly dominated the discussion i don't know that he had one of those and i'm not sure that it will make a long-term impact given all the other questions that linger about his campaign
0: you know i saw biden campaign in in las vegas on on friday actually and then saturday night at a big clark county dinner and the thing that really stuck out to me was he seemed like a candidate who understood that his personal performance has been a problem on the campaign Mm. trail when i saw him friday he actually at one point ditched the teleprompters literally said, like, get rid of them. And then, you know, started speaking horrific extemporaneously about any number of subjects, seemed lively at the dinner in Clark County where all the major candidates spoke. You know, he actually gave probably by far the most fiery speech of his campaign, really seemed to get some good reviews, at least in the room. They even seemed like the Biden campaign worked the room a little bit to make sure that he had supporters in there who would chant his name, hold up his campaign signs, you know, really trying at even the candidate level to reach down and get some momentum in this race. But look, he's he's in a difficult place and, and hanging over all this, Dave. I David. Mean, we we're talking about last night's debate, Nevada and South Carolina. But more and more what's going to matter is Super Tuesday and the concern and even expressed by Pete Buttigieg last night, you know, Bernie Sanders and to some degree Michael Bloomberg that we have to see what happened after last night's debate seemed like they were on track to start racking up a lot of delegates. And, and I don't want to lose sight of this because this is what matters. This is this is not a momentum race anymore. It's going to become a delegate race. And if Bernie Sanders is racking up delegates in California, I mean, Democrats seem to dawn on this week. The race might be close to over.
2: Well, and that's why Joe Biden cannot wait until South Carolina. And a Democratic operative I spoke to yesterday pointed pointed me to this: that if he gets third or fourth in Nevada, and then is banking all in South Carolina. California's voting now. North Carolina's voting now. Texas is voting. Votes are coming in. So if he's waiting for a springboard to happen a week from now, more than a week from now, a lot of the votes are going to be already in and maybe against him. So you can't wait for South Carolina is what was conveyed to me by this Democratic opera that has to come with at least a second place finish in Nevada which may be tough I mean second place looks very murky Bernie as we've said is the front runner in Nevada who plays second I think will be important mm-hmm. because they can say I'm the alternative to Bernie is it Buttigieg is it Biden is it Klobuchar is it Warren I don't know who's going to finish second place I would put more of my money on Bernie winning the thing but there's too many votes that are coming in now and I think that you know the media sometimes misses this. Everybody's voting early. And th- then you get to Super Tuesday, and you've got to have money and organization, and the only one that's organizing with offices and all these states and has TV ads up is Bernie and Bloomberg. And how Joe Biden, you know, he's just basically going to gonna go on his familiarity with people and say, you know, I'm the vice president. Everybody knows me. But if he doesn't have top finishes in these these next two states... I don't know what propels him in those Super Tuesday seats, even if you win South Carolina. And I, I should point out, there was a poll out yesterday, South Carolina, has Bernie's statistical dead heat. That was a UMass Lowell poll, but it had Biden at 23 and Bernie at 21. That's a dead heat. Can Biden afford to even win South Carolina by two points? Because in my opinion, if Bernie is that close to him, that's a win for Bernie, even if he doesn't beat him. I think Biden has to like kind of blow it out in South Carolina and be like, I'm back, baby. And it, it doesn't seem like that's gonna happen. Yeah, you know.
0: I just I, I don't even think we need to overthink it. Again, you come in fourth place in Iowa, fifth place in New Hampshire, you're a former vice president who a month ago was the front runner in this presidential primary. You have to start racking up good results. You need to, to give some signal to your supporters. You gotta win. Right. have gotta win. Right, gotta win. Right, right, right. Where can he win? And his campaign reportedly said that they will finish at least second place in in Nevada, yeah. uh, <sighs> which I would say just on the ground. I'm not saying it's a shaky prediction, but nobody knows beyond Bernie being the front runner. There is a strong. And they do either, right? Right. <laughs> they, they,
2: they They're don't. just trying to short donors, I think.
0: Right. Probably. No, I'm. I'm sure at this point they just say, you know, we've got almost got nothing to lose, right? We might as well start yeah. making these these predictions. Right. Okay, let's move on to my favorite segment of the show every week, where our panelists will. Tell us something that we didn't know something new fresh or original from their notebook emily you're up first
1: so i was just reading some of the nevada clips that didn't have to do with the debate last night and one of the things i thought was interesting and caught my eye was a report about the culinary union picket lines yesterday you know a lot of candidates like to show up and show their support for labor they're all in las vegas so all of them except bernie sanders went to the Culinary Union picket line in front of the Palms Hotel yesterday. I thought it was notable that he decided to skip that. He may have been doing debate prep and whatnot, but just given the back and forth that's gone on the last few weeks with him and his campaign and his supporters we haven't even talked about and the that. Culinary so Union, it, just, it wasn't the headline of the story, but it it was mentioned in there. I was like, this seems like a kind of a big deal that he skipped out on this when Every other candidate decided to show up. Just for background, the Culinary Union is is one of the most powerful forces in Democratic politics in Las Vegas. They decided not to endorse a candidate this time around in the primary, but they have been critical of Sanders for his Medicare for All proposal because they want to keep the health care that they've negotiated uh, in so many cases with these various casinos.
0: Bernie doesn't miss many picket lines. So no. That's a, yeah, <laughs> so that's it a struck good, me. That's a good observation. Yeah. Dave, what do you got?
2: So every candidate has obviously said they're already going on to Super Tuesday. They've got organizers there. They're spending money. Uh, I would watch uh, Elizabeth Warren. Now, barring a comeback that she has in Nevada and in South Carolina, you know, maybe the debate turned it all around. But I spoke to some Democrats in Massachusetts. They pointed me recently to a poll up there that had a muddled race. And Massachusetts is one of the states that votes on Super Tuesday. So I think... Warren will have to make a tough decision. Unless she wins Nevada or places second and comes back in South Carolina, if she has disappointing finishes, does she want to go into Super Tuesday and potentially jeopardize losing her home state? That would mean getting out of the race before Super Tuesday. Now, these Democrats said, like, no, she may not lose Massachusetts, but if she has to spend all her time there and spend resources That's a that's a pretty big alarm bell. So I would just watch what happens in those states. She may have a tough decision to make. I mean, Dave, you wrote this
0: week about the tension between her unity message and trying to get into the fight. Seemed like last night she decided, you know, she's going to get into the fight. But I I think if her campaign does ultimately fall short, this last couple months of being the unity candidate is going to come under some scrutiny.
2: Yeah, and obviously last night she made the uh, decision to fight. (laughs) She made the decision to
0: fight last night. We can be sure that. And look, she got good reviews for that. Mine, I'll keep it short. Just something I discovered in the manner of reporting a story about the young support uh, among Latinos and and African-Americans for Bernie Sanders. The Sanders campaign, really interestingly, does not, have a Latino outreach director. They don't have an African-American outreach director. What they do have, they say, is a senior staff that is represented by many uh, African-Americans and Latinos in such that they don't need, in the same way that Barack Obama in 2012 didn't need a Women for Obama coalition, because look, it's interwoven into everything they do. They don't need to silo it off. It's not a separate operation. Reaching out to Latinos is part and parcel of everything the Sanders campaign does as it tries to win the nomination and and try to do well with non-white voters in a way that they weren't able to do in in 2016. It was just an interesting note to me about how they conceive of themselves and who their real voter targets are and maybe why they've been successful, Was my story later this week. Uh, will suggest that they've been uh, successful winning over a lot of these younger non-white supporters, and they will say it's because they've made such a concerted effort on their campaign. Anyway, just an, an interesting detail to point out to you, the listener. Okay, I want to thank Emily and Dave for for coming on the show. Thank you so much, guys, as always.
1: Yeah, thanks. Absolutely.
0: And I want to thank our producer, Jeremy Sheeler, and our executive producer, Davin Kober. And thank you, our listeners. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. Talk to you next week.